Welcome to Darkly Lit, where there are no gods, only teeth. I'm, li- I'm leaving it there, just keeping it <laughs> sweet and simple. <laughs> I am your host, Kayla King. I'm joined by my other two co-hosts. We have Sade. I, the cat. I'm very upset about the cat. I'm not ready for this. Oh, <laughs> the cat. <laughs> well, we will talk about the cat, don't worry. Um, and our other co-host, David. For best picture quality, please adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Nice. Uh, we have just finished reading Dirty Heads by Aaron Dries. Wow. Um, <laughs> this book, wow. There's a lot. I have a lot to say. I have a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. It's. Why don't you give this summary, David, and then we can get into it. Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, uh, I might be the only one in the group here so far who has been to New South Wales. So, like, actually been there. So maybe that adds some credence. I don't know. But I definitely wasn't there in the uh, mid-90s when our uh, protagonist, Heath, was growing up in a little town out there in New South Wales. And as the story begins, though, he's not a kid. He's 19 He's um, on the run, he's homeless, and he's being pursued by a monster. He ends up riding back to his hometown on his bicycle, and uh, with the rest of the novel is essentially an extended flashback that shows how things got to the way they were, where when Heath was 13 and still kind of coming to terms with his burgeoning puberty, he, his sister Dee and his best friend Lincoln find a dirty magazine in a truck bed in a truck graveyard, as they call it, a place where scrap trucks are. And seeing a a hunky naked man inside, not immediately, but kind of sort of awakens something within our protagonist. But a lot of this novel is couched in feelings of guilt and having to keep things repressed. And so he, and not coming to terms with it. And uh, Heath is an interesting kid. He, his parents are clearly a little, you know, little not strict but they're you know they're they're like the kind of parents that just keep things on the on the level he's only allowed to do certain things he goes to a catholic school and his one retreat for him personally is he goes to the uh video store in a nearby town where he just loves looking at the covers and drawing what he sees on the covers of the horror videotapes and during all this happening he somehow catches the attention of something we don't even really know what it is it's just something something cosmic and horrible. And because he draws this one monster and gives it, uh, while in the basement of his home, this thing that's been kind of watching him takes form based on this drawing, but it doesn't happen until later. And while he's going through the turmoil of maybe coming to terms or not coming to terms with his uh, discoveries about his sexuality, uh, this monster is forming in his basement and it eats his cat. And it eats his dad. And then it's, he starts having these weird mystical things happen to him. These things that he can't explain that might be in conjunction with the monster, but might be in conjunction with just his mind. It's hard to say. It gets very existential, very deep, this particular novel. Big twist is that uh, Heath's dad killed his mistress. We've been led to believe for a little while that Heath's dad has been having an affair with a woman named Ave, who we learn her name later, mostly because through the connection between Heath and the monster, he can pick, he can actually see his dad's memories. Uh, and through those, he learns that his, his, his father seduced and then the day that he was eaten, murdered this woman because he's got some sick, twisted fantasy he wanted to have fulfilled. Around as this is all happening, he's finally trying to pinpoint where this monster is, but then the monster proceeds to break away and starts uh, viciously and gorily eating and killing his family. The only thing that his mom, who is kind of the uh, the emotional anchor of a lot of the story, can do is uh, she used to throw shot puts around. And so Chekhov's shot put is slammed into his head. But when he regains consciousness, nothing has changed. They're all dead. And Heath returns to the present. He's been on the run. This thing has been following him. He finally checks into a hotel with some donated money and finally decides, I'm not running anymore. Let's the monster in. 
and both he and the monster watch as Y2K happens for real this time and planes fall out of the sky. It's very, very metaphorical, this story. (laughs) Oh, yeah. What did you guys think of this book? Overall, I really enjoyed it. It was quite the mood. Uh, A lot of like the viscera and the carnage um, did not get to me in in the way that I think it maybe got some of the other readers, just because desensitized and whatnot. Uh, a lot of the emotional beats of uh, were also relatable. I think I was just kind of like in the right place for this story, but in like the wrong way in that I've been kind of down emotionally the last few weeks. And so while I was reading the book, I was like, okay, I get you, Heath. I'm, I'm, I'm where you're at. But like to the point where I was like, man, who cares, kid? We all got our issues. And so there were points. Um, and I did see this in... That probably amplified by parts of the story where it was like, okay, this is kind of dragging out a little bit or like the pacing got a little slow around in the middle uh, where I was definitely checking out and I'm like, oh man, I should reread that because I wasn't paying attention. I got lost in my head. Even in some of the scenes with the carnage, I was just like, oh, I should reread that. Oh, Ant just got killed. Okay. How did I not pay attention to that? I don't know. I, I'm glad I bought my own copy because I think I need to reread it on a, at some point because I was and wasn't in the right place for this story. But overall, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I got I got thoughts. I'm ready to talk about it. Not about the cat. Don't talk to me about the cat, but everything <laughs> else I'm down for. We don't have to talk about the cat. I know I said earlier, we'll talk about the cat. I don't want to talk about no. it. We don't have cool, to talk about you. the cat. It's okay. I, I agree with you. I really enjoyed this book. The writing is gorgeous. Actually, let me back it up. Let's go on the physical level. There's no audiobook with this. So all of us, I think, actually purchased a copy of, of the book, correct? Yes, I did. The cover is wild. <laughs> I do fucking love the cover art. Like, so the cover art is a artwork of a boy and has this like horrifying mouth coming out of the side that's monstrous. And there's, it's just, after seeing it enough times, I'm now a little more desensitized to it. Mm. But when I first saw it, I was like, oh, Jesus. I, so I took the book with me to work to read because occasionally, uh, like if I'm at the register, it gets slow enough that I can just sit and read. I did not pay attention onto whether customers were seeing the cover or not, but I did have a couple coworkers be like, what the hell are you reading? And I'm like, <laughs> book, good book. <laughs> a book. Uh, but the cover art is by Thon. Yes. Oh, I... T-H-O-N. That's it? Just, just Thon? Thon. The, it also reminds me of, uh, I forget the, his handle on Twitter. But a much more illustrated version of something you might see from Trevor something. Do you guys know who I'm talking about? No? No, I'm sorry. I want to say his handle on Twitter is like something ghost. Swampy ghost. Oh, uh, slimy swamp ghost? That, I think that might be it. I might also be confusing him with other similar artists. Um, it's like an uh, illust- more an illustrated, because they do more like Photoshop edit art. And I know they, someone had a series of like just teeth coming out of things everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so it reminded me of that, like much more Ill- obviously illustrated version of that. I think you're right. Trevor Henderson? Yeah, I think that's him. I might, it's him or this other guy named Edward that I'm thinking of. Eduardo. Uh, I'm looking at the profile art or the the art, which clearly is our end. Yeah, it has a similar vibe to the cover of this book. Mm-hmm. I think there's a similar artist to to Trevor um, that is, there's another one named Eduardo. It's V, something with a V. Who I'm actually thinking of more instead. Mm. But okay. Anyway, love the art. I really like really weird, bizarre art, apparently. <laughs> As a story, there are a lot of things I could relate to. The one similarity that I really connected with was when he went to the video store and would just look at the covers. Because I would do the exact same damn thing. Mainly with books than uh, movies, but I've done it with movies before. Because I was not allowed to watch horror movies when I was a kid and horror books were out of the picture. I did not start reading horror books until I was older. So I would just look at the covers and then come up with like my own storylines to go along with it. So when I'm reading this, I'm like, damn man, I feel you with this. That mm." Another thing I was able to relate to is the queer aspect of it. Because the one thing, one thing I appreciated from this is this is a queer kid that didn't always know he was queer. And it really did take someone to say it to him, to for him to finally grasp it. And I get that feel. Everyone's always like, "Oh, I always knew I was gay." For me, it's like I I knew that I that I was queer, 
when I was younger, and I saw signs, but I completely ignored them, and we're like, nah, that's just, everybody thinks like that, right? Mm-hmm. I, and I appreciate this almost kind of, like, forced ignorance, like, and I feel like that's what's happening here. It's this sort of, like, he's basically trying to push it out of the way and um, focus on that, and it's it's kind of refreshing to see it in that way. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's a, it was definitely a, a hallmark of the time, too, because we were... We talked about this a little earlier. This being set in the, the early to mid-90s in Australia. I mean, it could be anywhere, though, because this is, like, one of the things that keeps coming up is you, is the repeated motif of a commercial about AIDS and the Grim Reaper with his bowling ball. And, you know, at the time, it was still very, very hard for people to be open and out about, you know, it's, it's, it's a far cry from where we are today. It's still a struggle in a lot of places, but people are a lot more open about their sexuality now than maybe they were then. And it's definitely like a reminder of how it, how it was. You can see how Heath would want it, would, would be more inclined to kind of repress it. Because again, the atmosphere around him is so inherently hostile. There's not a lot of examples, positive examples that you can see of that where he is and low key people around him are demonizing it. The thing that sticks out to me is how his his dad says, oh, we don't go into those toilets because there might be pufters in there. He, he describes how he doesn't know what a pufter is, but he just, to him, his mind, he just knows that it's something to do with weak men and he didn't want to be a weak man. And there's all this expectation and stuff piled on him and what he people expect him to be, what the societal expectation is, and it's clashing so hard with what viscerally he's feeling and and it's handled really well in the text that that idea that like even if he wanted to come out of the closet or just or be you know realize he doesn't even realize there's a there's a closet to begin when he does he doesn't want anything to do with it he wants to be able to deny it the monster in the story kind of represents that part of it i just thought it was really really interesting and you know really like humanizing for the character it's where the you know majority of it of the, the thrust of the plot comes from. And I found myself empathizing with the character a lot. So, or sympathizing. I will say there are things in this book that I'm like, this shouldn't have worked, but it did. Like, for example, we see the monster's point of view quite a bit, mm. but it, I think it works really well in this story. I, it does work really well. At first it's a little jarring and you're like, hmm, I don't know, like if this is gonna work or not. And I find it very interesting, especially in comparison to like The Visitor that we mm-hmm. read a couple episodes back, mm-hmm. where we got that perspective from the the alien hunter. We we're like, oh man, this is meh. This is mid, yeah. as the youths like to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, where it was just like it didn't work at all. It really kind of just killed, I don't know, the intensity. The There was no reason to really fear. It very humanized the the alien. Yeah. And it made it less fearful, more understandable. Whereas here, just like the way the thought process of this creature is, was like jarring and uncomfortable and sometimes just a bit too much, but also quite delightful. And yeah, like the whole time it was just like, I don't like this thing. Yeah, the monster, I, I loved this. And again, contrasting it, I was thinking the exact same thing about the visitor. This monster's perspective is so, is actually just alien enough. Like we're seeing it, but we can't, it's still alien to us. Even though yeah. that we're, we're seeing it, it's still alien and, and like we can't fully like grasp the sense that it's trying to, it has a sense. Like it's very deliberate in what it's trying to convey. Yeah. And like we still can't fully grasp what its meaning is. It knows how it works. It knows where it's from. It knows how things are. And it even puts it out there. But we can't grasp it. Yeah, it has no intention of of what it's saying is not for the benefit of us to understand it. It is just saying what it wants to say. Yeah, we are we are in its thoughts and we are understanding it the best that we can understand it. And the idea that it's like it's eldritch in the sense that it's not. It doesn't come from anywhere uh, that we can understand. It just, it, the reason it is able to ground itself, lightning looking for ground, the reason it's able to form is because of Heath. And I think that's conveyed really well without even understanding why or how or all of the perspective of it. We get hints of it, enough of it that we know that they're connected. And the best Heath can come up with is thinking of it as some kind of magic. And I liked that. Like he was really um, going over the kinds of strange magic that might exist. But again, that's beyond our comprehension. And I think that's phenomenal. I think the writing in this is quite amazing. Like there's a lot of beautiful descriptions and incredible details. Like one of the things that is a really nice 
kind of subtle detail is he Keith focuses or thinks he has a crush on Tina, which is his best friend's older sister. But if you notice, he never focuses on things that you would think a straight person would focus on. His focus is on the, the like butterfly barrettes. That's not really attraction. I don't know. I think he, Heath's crush on Tina in the beginning is innocent. It is a child's yeah. crush. He likes the bar- mm. the barrettes and he likes how confident she like he likes how confident she is and she's like, you know, he likes the vibe. He doesn't understand things like sexuality yet. He's not going to be looking at her tits. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> that's not right. what he's into yet. I think that's when he like sees the porn guy, Clayton or whatever his name was. Mm-hmm. Um then he's like, you know, he's mistaking like, "Oh, I want to look like that." I'm mistaking that for being like I want to be touched by that kind of thing. He's, I don't think that Heath was mistaken. I think he did have a crush on Tina and his heartbreak and her rejection was genuine. Oh yeah, I agree. And I think that's why maybe her being like, I think you're gay, like hit him so much harder. Cause he's like, no, 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 I like you. What the fuck? I'm not gay. Well, there's the whole idea too that his reject, her rejection represents so much more. Cause then if it's also the affirmation, like if he is gay, he essentially his in his mind he has no future. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned before, being gay in the '90s at early '90s at this time, especially in Australia and in a little podunk town like this. Um, and I, w- I want to mention real quick, just just to give you some perspective, maybe 12 years ago, I went to visit friends in Australia, and I was there for about. Five, six days. Mm-hmm. And I remember distinctly what it was like to travel through that, that country. And New South Wales reminds me a lot of like uh, rural parts of Southern and Central California. Uh-huh. It's very open. It's kind of dry. Uh, lots of trees, lots of little paddocks and, and um, situations where you'll see fenced in areas where like cattle and stuff will graze. And, and if you didn't, I didn't know better, I would say I was somewhere in like the valley or like the, you know, the, the great, the Apple Valley area of California in some parts of it. Difference being, though, every so often in a field, I'd see something and I'd go, oh, what's that out there? And my, my friend uh, would look and go, oh, those are kangaroos. And I'd be like, oh, OK. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and, and there's these little towns that are scattered throughout there that are very like, like we, I remember riding from Sydney to the place where we, we were being picked up. It was a little place called Campbelltown. And Campbelltown was like the town in this story. There's really not a lot to it. There's, it's just kind of a place where people live. It's like track homes and little tiny convenience general stores. And uh, maybe there's a church or two. And it's, it's that kind of rural. And so I was remembering the view out the window of the train when I'm picturing this town. It has that spirit mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And again, getting to stay with my, my friend's family for a little bit out there in this really little uh, town out near a national park, this town called Wingelo. Uh You definitely got that kind of vibe there too. Although I think Wingelo was a little bit more, as it was so far removed from Sydney, the Sydney area that it was actually like by itself had its own character to it. So you can, you can get a sense of that, that isolating sense that there's not a lot. This, this is probably a town where everybody goes to church, Yeah, you know, and everybody thinks this way. And it's like, yeah, if, if you're different, especially this form of different, while there's commercials on TV about the Grim Reaper's bowling ball, while your dad is saying to you, don't go in there, there might be poofters in there. Heath has no future as far as he knows. I decided to look this up because um, in the United States, uh, gay marriage became legalized everywhere in 2015. Mm-hmm. And it's still insane to me that it wasn't that long ago. For Australia, it wasn't until 2017 mm. that it became legalized. From what I've heard... Australia is not as, not to say America is totally open, but it's a little worse in Australia than it is here Mm -hmm. in terms of acceptance of LGBTQ. Yeah. I was going to say when we were talking about, you know, the crush he has on Tina and the profound Mm -hmm. effect that the the double whammy of her rejection and her just saying, I think you might be gay Mm -hmm. has on him in relation to everything else that's already going on. There's also, and I noticed this too, the way he talks about Brett his yep. boy, he's got some feelings he doesn't understand about Brett. And I thought that was really interesting. I picked up on that as well. Mm-hmm. That's 100% my type of shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, as I was reading it, I thought, I'll say it's probably digging this part at least. Uh, when they when he went to sit with him, I was like, okay, hell yeah, I'll ship this. And I was hoping <laughs> that maybe when we cut to the future at the end and like the only like thing left of his past was maybe he runs into Brett and like Brett probably gets eaten by the monster or something. But I wanted him to run into Brett and then be like, 
have a moment, you know, oh, a moment. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, definitely, you you get some of the signs of him admiring Clayton for like his physique and thinking, yeah, I want to look like that when I'm older. And then like the way he describes Brett for sure, you're just like, oh man. Tina's totally got you pinned. <laughs> again, I totally relate to that. I had the exact same thought. I thought, oh, I'm only ad- I'm only admiring this woman because I want to look like that. I would like bigger boobs like her. Yeah, totally. Uh, <laughs> it, it is funny how this denial, I don't even think it's denial. I think it is genuine ignorance because it doesn't feel like he's pretending i don't i think he genuinely doesn't realize it fully it's ignorance in the sense that he initially until gina says it to his face he doesn't consider it a possibility because he's normal him and his family are normal and like why would he be anything that his shunned upon or like Mm -hmm. because you always consider yourself and your life normal like shit doesn't that you know bad shit happens but doesn't happen to you that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um that mentality until it actually happens so i think it just was not possible or a possibility to him until tina says to his face i think you're gay and then suddenly stuff starts to fall together in his head where he's you know dreaming about Clayton or the when he gets in trouble with Brett and he's like listening to the teachers being like we don't say that word that's the most horrible thing you could call somebody and he's like starts thinking like well why is it horrible because he's just kind of accepted it for it's it's a bad thing but I'm not the bad thing because I'm a normal kid and like how can I be bad and when he starts to piece it together of like okay I might be this thing but why does that make me bad I just want to be normal and have a life and yeah, no, the whole, like, him coming to terms with his sexuality, and I think, like, the whole book up to the end when he sits with his monster, because it's just him coming to terms with it, because obviously, we've said this already, this monster represents his sexuality and things about himself that he is now afraid of and doesn't want to accept, and that just denial of who you are will fucking tear you apart and tear you away from your family for some people tear your family mm-hmm. apart too literally and uh, yeah, figure that literally really happens for heath yeah. in this yeah. book yeah well the theme of secrets tearing people apart is a big thing too yes because i do want to talk about uh he's dad yes that was wild to me when i got to that part i'm like oh he's a murderer holy shit i was not expecting that no at all. That caught me completely out of left field. I we like I knew his father was you know cheating on their you know his mother. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the revelation that he choked this woman to death for fun that did also catch me by surprise. And I think what it is is because the father shortly after being introduced he immediately becomes a victim, and we're like, oh, he's just a victim now. So like, why would we assume that he's also you know a villain uh-huh. when he's already a victim? So yeah, that was that was good. That was I really enjoyed that little surprise. Also with uh, the mom hitting Heath in the fucking With a shop toy. That was... You don't realize it until it's, like, setting it up and they're like, oh, shit. Because, you know, we... In the beginning in that... In the, when he's first introduced and he's like, he's got this scar, you assume it's because he, like, encountered the monster later and he got it from the monster and, like, to get it from his mom instead is brutal. It's, again, it's, it's, it's so hard to see because, like, the only way she thinks she can stop it is by basically braining her son with a shot put and also, like, kudos to the book. I knew the shot puts were gonna be important the moment they were introduced. Check off shot put. Right. But the fact that she slams him in the fucking face with it, and guess what? It accomplishes nothing. She's still killed. Presumably. Presume, okay, when, okay, I wanna get back to her hitting her son. Uh, but, like, I do like how we we never get the actual, like, confirmation that she is dead. So I'm like, she's either dead or maybe she just got, like, pinned for the murders because she beat her son's face in almost. And she's, like, in some penitentiary and, like, that's why he can't live with her anymore and why he gets put into the foster system. Anyway, that's probably not. She's probably dead. But um, going back to the fact that, like, you know, this monster being... A representation of you know his sexuality um and how it's like tearing apart their family his mother like trying to knock him out and hurting him trying to you know subdue the monster by hurting him was making me think of like parents who do genuinely love their children mm-hmm. but when they come out they do awful mm-hmm. things like sending them to conversion therapy or something yep. in the intent of like saving their child but honestly just 
ruining them, scarring them, literally in this case, for life. This this whole thing is a giant fucking metaphor, and I love it. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and I have thoughts about the connection between the monster and the father and, and he. Right, I'd love to hear them. Because mm-hmm. I was thinking, so we would discover that, you know, dad wasn't a great guy. Uh, he never actually loved the mom, and he's kind of always been hiding who he is. There's even that bit of, like, Heath was trying to, like, imagine his father and have his father tell him how to be brave, but his father always hid himself, mm-hmm. you know, behind a book behind his books yeah and we learn we learn what the books are about later yeah so my thought with that connection between the father and Heath and the monster was generational trauma in -hmm. that this man has always been hiding his genuine self and that is all he taught to his children so all Heath can do is when he's confronted by who he is is to hide and run that's my theory (laughs) that's no that's that makes sense the thing is like the thing equating the thing that is his that his father is hiding, which is actually horrible, Mm -hmm. to the thing that Heath is hiding, which is not actually horrible, but he perceives it to be horrible. Like, the contrast there, but also the comparison, Mm -hmm. is, I think, deeply fascinating. Mm -hmm. Because in in a situation like this, it could be equated to being a a similar kind of, of, again, the title, Dirty Heads. It's not just an allusion to the VCRs or the, the VHS tapes. This was the first time I've ever heard of, because I don't know the parts of a VCR. <laughs> we were children when that was still a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, actually, I because David was explaining, I'm like, wait, wait, get get one of our VCRs because I still actually, we still actually do have VCRs. We have a, we have a decent collection of tapes still. And... Uh, so he brought it over. He's like, this top of it, that's the head. And if you get it dirty, that's what's going to cause that tracking on film. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Which is why, and I loved the, aesthetic throughout the book of the the static tracking of a vc a vhs tape a dirty vhs mm-hmm. tape uh all throughout this thing this was oh very cool also the fact that the chapters counted down instead of up yeah that uh, definitely um helped build tension yeah as you're progressing through the story and things start to build up so we just recently watched um Skin Marink for the Jameson tapes. Ooh. That episode's not going to be out until much later this year because uh, we're not really seeing the next season until I think the plan is March, but I'm going to ask if we can push it back to February because we're trying to create a backlog of episodes right. before we start the new season. Mm-hmm. Um, so stay tuned for that. I'm excited. I got some really good movies that we started with that I highly recommend. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we watched Skin Marink. There was this, like, not the narrative, well, maybe the narrative. Uh, of just like innocence lost in like from like children that really like had the same vibe as this book mm-hmm. i was thinking of that movie a lot as i was finishing the rest of this book of just kind of like the dirty video and like lost innocence kind of just like trying to make sense of what's going on kind of vibe mm-hmm. so if you've watched skinner Inc. and you also read the book i'd like to i don't know if you felt any parallels there let us know if you've uh, also seen skinner Inc. Yeah. And your thoughts on that. I have not yet, but I've, I've heard good things about it, so. It's funny, uh, I don't know much about the movie in context, I just know that I, the Innocence Lost thing makes sense, because Skinnamarink is part of a lyric from a old uh, children's TV show I remember from a kid. There really? was a, there, yeah, it was, um, there, it's, it, I can't remember the name of it exactly, but it was like three people and an elephant. There's like an elephant mascot. And the, the ending theme of the show was the, the they would sing, Skinnamarinkadinkadink, Skinnamarinkadoo, I love you. Oh. This sounds familiar. That The song sounds familiar. I have no idea what this show yeah. is. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's not from that specifically, but that, but they did use that. And that's where I remember it. So when people keep saying Skinnamarink, I'm like, that show with the, the three people and the elephant? I cannot remember what that show is. Like, <laughs> it's like someone, 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 and the elephant was the name of the show. Definitely no elephants. In, uh, okay, well, I figured, but <laughs> I just didn't know if there was a connection. Anyway, this is such a slim little book. But it packs a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I, this so far, I mean, I know we're only at the beginning of the year, but this is like my, my favorite thing I've read so far. For this year, yeah. It's just, the writing is is absolutely gorgeous. The, the, the themes of it are on point. It makes you think about it. And like, for me personally, because I wasn't, I didn't get a kind of get into this when I was, we were going over reactions. But this, what's happening in the story, it didn't scare me, 
but the things that happened and the subtext of what was happening elicited general genuine feelings of of like horror and revulsion in me not the violence even it, it not is, even the violence uh, just the things that were happening in the story yeah it's interesting because the, the violence is very visceral like the mm-hmm. way that d dies is oh god horrifying oh man i, I generally felt bad i was like man that sucks like I felt bad for Aunt Cat too, but oh, yeah, D, Aunt- but D, you really feel for uh-huh. D. Yeah, the the regret that you get from the the present present Heath describing what was happening in the past about with D with Lincoln, like you can feel all those regrets so hard, and with D in particular, D is one of those people who just I love the connection between he and uh, her and Heath. And I love the way that they, I love their interactions. And I especially love the moment when he almost tells her what's going on, but doesn't say it exactly. But she just knows. Yeah. You can tell in that way. And she doesn't care. And I love that. And the people that aren't his father don't deserve what happened to them. No. But it's, that's where the horror comes in. Kill, this book is not afraid to kill off brutally the characters that you've grown to see as these, as friends, as allies, as people you might actually care about. What I think it also did really well is that it does warn us at the beginning, like, everyone's dead, Mm -hmm. right? And, like, it still hits hard when you get to it. Mm -hmm. Again, that's something that shouldn't have worked. Usually, if it begins with, like, oh, everybody's dead, it shouldn't hit that hard. But it does. It does. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people, I've seen some of the comments um, people have left. Uh, So our Discord, I was surprised by how many were like, "I, I don't know what to say. I'm so baffled by it and confused. Yeah. I was skimming over some of those comments and some some I'll agree with and some would just I'm like what what book did you read? <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> we can get into it, but one thing I was gonna I was gonna address. I know some people had commented that they were surprised that it didn't go back to the present more. I actually mm. really liked in hindsight how this story was just kind of bookended by the present. Yeah, I mean, I agree. There was a point where I'm like, oh, I thought it was going to go back and forth between the present. Yeah, I did too. I think that the summary on the back of the book kind of, I thought kind of hinted at that because it said, and it won't stop, not until you come home, back to where it all began. So I thought, oh, we're going to see what his experience is like in the present coming back home, but that doesn't happen. But it, it doesn't bother me. Having the present in the beginning and the present at the end still works. Another thing I found interesting was the book begins with chapter, I think, 20? Yeah. And it's a countdown. Yeah. Oh. Oh, I just got it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh... <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so I have questions. Do we want to get into questions? We might as well, because I think they're going to help prompt some of the things I would like to bring up still. Before we get to the questions, I also want to like acknowledge Lincoln's death. Yeah. Or just the, when we learn of his death and just like, that was also quite brutal. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The fact that basically half that family is torn apart by one freak accident. Yeah. Mm. It's off screen, but it's just so, it hurts, especially because like you mentioned, this is a person we got to know and care for. Yeah. And, and, he, and Heath even mentions in hindsight how he wishes he regrets like, not having said more to Lincoln, the last time they talked was him just cutting him off on the phone and hanging up. Mm-hmm. And now he's never going to be able to talk to Lincoln again. So sad. Yeah. You just never know. I have uh, questions and comments um, starting with Urkabot666 uh, or Dan. Thank you, Dan. Dirty Heads was good. I thought it worked decently well as both a monster story and a queer coming of age tale. I felt like Heath's confusion about his budding sexuality was well handled and mostly subtle where it needed to be. There were some parts in the middle of the story that felt as though they could have had gone a little more quickly. And I find myself at points wondering when we would exit the flashback and revisit the present time where the story starts. But it was mostly a quick read with some interesting twists and good weirdness. Uh, I mean, we just mentioned that because, again, yeah, I thought the same too for a couple chapters. Like, are we going to go back to the present? But it, it didn't take long for me to realize, okay, we're, we're not going back to the present for a while. I think ultimately that is maybe the fault of the description on the back where it does imply like, hey, there's going to be like some kind of showdown when he goes back to town, right? Mm-hmm. I think whoever wrote the back... The description just kind of fucked up there, but it <laughs> no fault to the actual uh, story because it worked. It was it had the two bookends of the the future, and it, it worked. I, I have no problems with that. So he asked questions. His one question is: Was there anything specific that prompted the creation of the monster? 
I found myself wondering if I had missed some key point and skimmed through to see if there was a moment mentioned where he creates the monster, or if it was just based on the manifestation of what he perceives are his wrongs slash faults. I, I can see the confusion because I feel like there are a bunch of key moments that where the monster got developed more. I think you're right that the start of it was the porn magazine. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like the, the way the monster itself describes it is it's like waiting to find a way to manifest mm-hmm. and it kind of latches onto him at that moment but it wait it has to wait for something specific to happen because the, there's a one chapter it ends with uh heath in the basement drawing this his own version of the slaughterer but then giving it a, a big schlong um and then he goes to bed and the next chapter is just the words found you you know that's funny i i saw that and i thought of save because <laughs> I know what Sade, how Sade draws. <laughs> I don't draw big schlongs. Do I draw schlongs? Yes. Are they <laughs> massive? No, I think they're pro- pro- appropriate for the portion- proportions of the characters that I draw. Big, okay. one small, one some as big as your head. <laughs> uh, no, that was definitely a, um, a relatable moment from me for me because it was like cool yeah i love this character design what else could i add a dick (laughs) um but yeah i don't think there's like any real like rhyme or reason for like why this thing chose heath and like how it like came about it really is just kind of like this thing was out there and it it latched onto heath and it manifested through heath and his doubt and anxiety and his fears about who he was and sucks for him yeah again lightning needing to find grounding lightning doesn't try to strike anything specific it strikes whatever is the tallest object in view that happened to be heath in the metaphorical sense mm-hmm. another key moment and i I don't think any of the questions address this but i and i realize we haven't addressed this let's not forget he does bury the mixtape after tina says i think you're gay and it turns into a tree in yes. his room yeah there's this weird there's that weird bit where the lemon like an aspect of the lemon tree grows out of the wall in his room and has the the tape wrapped around it it's not just the monster there's other weird supernatural stuff happening in conjunction with the monster i mean yeah you could say i don't know if that's entirely a separate thing or it is just a a result of this monster who we see it described like wherever it goes reality kind of shifts in that like solids become soft liquids or foam or like things you know defy gravity around it so like i think and it was in the house right so i think it's just distorting i think what the tape thing with the tree is somehow a result of the just the monster's presence right but yeah no it's like what the fuck (laughs) i get it yeah uh next question is how'd you guys like the 90s setting though i'm not australian i think a lot of the setting came through quite well without being overbearing I think the 90s setting is perfect for this, but um, I wanted to look up the writer just to get a sense. Yes, he is Australian. Yes, he is gay. And yes, he would have been the right age uh-huh. when this is. So th- there is some parallel between. Of course, I mean, I don't. A monster didn't come to life to <laughs> destroy. But uh, I actually read an interview with him and he did take it from some experience. But. Not only that, uh, another interesting thing is his day job is actually working with the homeless. He works in counseling and such, which is fascinating to mm. me. Some experience there when covering Heath's uh, sojourns at the bookends of the story, him mm-hmm. being homeless, what he has mm-hmm. to do to get by. Mm-hmm. I mean, we did grow up in the 90s, but we were all young children at the time. Yeah, we're definitely younger than what Heath is during this time. I mean, we do have memories of the 90s, and yeah, I, I mean, a lot of us were able to find connections. I think we all also have memories of, you know, the Y2K stuff that was going on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I know my parents were, you know, like, they weren't, like, freaking out over it but they're like hey just in case let's you know fill these barrels with water in case we need you know drinking water and uh you know airplanes did not fall out of the sky so we just played uh bobbing for apples in the barrels <laughs> so uh fang sway also had a comment and questions thank you fang sway he said i had the same problem throughout the middle expecting to be bounced back and forth but more between the future and the past to a degree the future stuff after the first few segments feels really tacked on and not quite as necessary. I disagree, honestly. I think the present shows a 
unfortunately, a future where he is dealing with it. It it really does show a part of a queer experience too. Yeah, he carries the weight of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how many queer youth is out there because their identity forced them away from their families, not whether they were tossed out or they had to run away from abuse like it is very real Mm -hmm. the ending and i think we needed to see that especially if this monster you know is an analogy for like his queer identity it fits because it's it's a fucking reality Mm -hmm. he did say they do bring their own elements though so he has a couple questions one of the things he uh asked was is this an even gayer fight club but with an eldritch cosmic monster instead of brad pitt and airplanes instead of banking buildings <laughs> uh, uh i don't think it is I, I like the interpretation i really do like this interpretation but i don't think it is either i don't want to spoil fight club for anybody okay that movie's been out forever if you haven't seen fight club by now and you get upset about it being spoiled that is on you y'all are forgetting the first rule about fight club though (laughs) (laughs) don't fucking talk about fight club okay if anybody wants to watch the movie or read the book pause this and walk away. We're going to talk about it. Let's skip forward like 30 seconds to a minute, I guess. Yeah. I like I don't see the monster as his other identity or anything like that like Tyler Durden was with depending on the book or the movie, you it's Joe, Joe or, or Jack. Jack. Yeah. I think this really is a manifestation of it could be queer identity, it could be his anxiety about his queer identity or guilt or shame or it's a i, feel I think like it's all of the above it's every yeah all of the above for sure it's, the, it's an ill-intentioned version of all the insecurities and um secrets and things that he perceives again things that he perceives as dirty dirty heads mm-hmm. just all co- coagulated together into this reality warping vicious monster i still found it a very funny interpretation i really do enjoy that though what was the whole connection between Heath and his monster? Well, we just... We did go into that a bit. Was everything real, or is there an implied history of mental illness coming from both sides of the family, and Heath is just an unreliable narrator in the end who may have actually killed his family himself? I think you're trying to turn this into something it isn't, mm-hmm. if you're going to try and go down that route. Yeah, I, I I don't see it much on his mother's side of the family either, either way. No. This is, his, his dad's the fucked up one. I think I can see the interpretation because his dad is so fucked up and the fact that he is willing to kill a woman and actually takes pleasure out of it. Because it does feel like an, a, a strange add-on to this uh, book. But I don't think it's a mental illness at all i think this monster is real other people do see it or at least the his family does at least as far as we can tell and people did have to come to remove the tree from his wall Mm -hmm. like his mom did see the tree yep that was a good moment actually it was when she went in the room and saw it yeah and then that's when i knew oh it's not all in his head that's when i mean that's when she knew that's when he knew i think that's what really Probably the tree is there for. It's not just something that's all in his head. It really is real and his mom can see it and other people can see it. Mm -hmm. Which actually works with the whole queer identity because everyone can see it. That for some reason, everyone around him can see that he's gay. (laughs) But when he's on the run, other people can't see the monster. It's only the people that are close to him that can see it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then uh, both Bringer and Thanksway had this same question. What was the dad's implied eventual intention with his books on the upper shelf? He does clearly intend to show them to both his kids eventually when they are ready. I did not get that implication at Nor all. Nor did I. I'll... I was like, what is... I mean, there there might have been a reference to of like, oh yeah, when we're older, we can look at daddy's books. But I mean, like, if you're a parent and you've got porn like hidden in a book and you're like no this is you know this is like for grown-ups this is this is for grown-ups this is you know when you're older you're saying that now because you don't you're 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 telling your no your kid no but you have no actual intention of ever sharing your porn with your children Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that that was the idea i got too that the whole oh uh, when you're older sort of thing it's more just that's just something parents say as to say no 
Yeah, it was like, it wasn't a implicit promise or anything that someday I'm going to no. show you my fucked up uh, fantasies. Uh, both of them had the implication that, and I, I don't agree with this, but I, it's the fact that two people thought the same thing is kind of interesting. That was a moment where I was like, wait, what book did you read? Because I didn't get that at all. <laughs> I think it was even more expressed that the father never intended for anyone to know of his tendencies or his books, because... That is why he was so like, do you hear me or or, or do you see me? Mm-hmm. You know, when he was choking Ave, um, in that his reason for killing her was because he was like at this point of where he was hiding for so long from his wife that he needed to like vent and kill this woman in his wife's place just to feel like seen for a brief moment mm-hmm. you know because he never intended to be and that was getting to him because mm-hmm. the, the one comment that keeps coming up is when are you gonna leave your wife that comment basically clicked for him to be like well she's dead well I mean, no, because he's like, he, he does explicitly say I, he knew how it was going to end from the beginning. Right. Yeah, that is true. I was thinking more like, this is the moment. Well, yeah, that was the moment. It's like, okay, this, this charade's over now. Like, I gotta end this now. Yeah, that's definitely the moment. Because mm-hmm. now, you know, that's always the point in the affair. When they start asking, like, when you're going to leave your spouse is when they're going to be like, hey. If you don't say shit to your spouse, I'm going to say something because I'm done with this affair. We got to make this. You got to put a ring on this one. <laughs> kind of shit like that. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the moment. That's when it's like, well, shit, now, now it's not a secret. Now it's a problem. Now it's not just a secret. Now it's a problem. Now, I'm curious because uh, this isn't a question. That's actually all the questions we have. For the ending with Y2K and it being real, I had a theory about it being real. So you know how... His monster manifested because of his insecurities, his his with his queer identity. I kind of felt that might have been a parallel because everyone else, the world is basically like had this anxiety over. Oh no, everything's going to end, and then yep. did we all manifest Y two K? Yeah, <laughs> that was my that was my um. Uh, that's theory. that's an interesting take on it for sure for me it was more of like he lets the monster in and they sit down together because it's kind of this moment of like i'm done running uh because you know i've been i've been doing some you know he's you know he's even like done things with guys at this point but he still has always been running he hasn't accepted his connection to this monster that is you know his identity his fears and anxiety but in this moment of just like i'm done running you know, come in. And it's in that moment that, like, the fucking world goes to shit. I think for me it was more of a symbolism of, like, none of it fucking matters. Because, like, the world can go to shit at any moment. So why let those fears and those anxieties fucking keep you from who you are and, like, just living your fucking life i like that yeah that's how I actually i like both interpretations for different reasons too i think those are great yeah. takeaways yeah. oh man. i like halos because that one's kind of fun <laughs> like, man yeah let's well then it built it built off the the established mythology that we're kind of hinting at that like people are manifesting their own problems mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. and therefore the collectively we went from Keith manifesting this monster as a lone lightning strike to a literally globe-spanning thunderstorm of supernatural problems. This is going to be an apocalypse. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be one hell of one. But I love I love the interpretation that you have uh, for this one as well, saying I'm somewhere, I can, I can see both, and I like them both. I can sit comfortably in the middle yeah. between those two. The mystery B. I just think that what's, what's great is that the ultimate, is that bit at the end where the last line, that last bit, segues into the font that was being used for the monster about saying we might be okay yeah i again i as soon as you said um the world could end at any moment so why run okay yeah that's great that is actually a great interpretation and works thematically with what's happening i really like that (laughs) do we have any other thoughts about this i mean i I could keep going on how great this book is but i'm satisfied with uh the discussion we've had i this was a really nice read not well definitely not nice in the terms of this but like it was (laughs) was enjoyable it was enjoyable it kept me hooked it was a 
it was a deep analysis of the text that led us to having this great discussion about all the things. And that to me is a good book is when we can get together on the show and really get into the nitty gritty of the narrative and compare thoughts and ideas. Mm-hmm. That's the kind of stuff I love reading on Darkly Lit. And so this yeah. was a home run for me. I also want to say, cause I was seeing some of the comments in the discord was like, wow, this actually made me feel something over this and this, or like, I think I felt something here and that surprised me. And I think that is a sign of just like how successful this book is. Where it's like if it can surprise you or just j- make you genuinely like feel something, whether that is an enjoyable feeling or not, and you're still compelled to keep reading, that is that is a good book, my friend. Absolutely. You know what? I would probably read other works by Aaron Dries. Yeah, me too. I'm I'm curious. We might read them again. I- I'd like to. Yes. But on that note, what are we reading next time? Well, so right now a lot of us have become extremely busy. My work in basically we're going through something that has increased my workload immensely and it's getting to a point where my work is like, you know, if you need overtime. Oh fuck. Yeah. So, we decided, you know what? Let's take a break for this upcoming March and we'll meet back again in on April 13th. Not only that um March is when, uh, actually, Sade will be coming down to California. Yes. And we'll be able to hang out and all that. And it's something I don't want to think about podcast during that time. <laughs> well, uh, on top, like, like you've got your added workload. I've also picked up extra hours for that trip in March. And I think we've also all reached the point of the new year where we're just kind of like, man, I just need some downtime. Mm-hmm. I just want to read some books that aren't related to this podcast for a little bit. And then I'll get back yeah, to it. Yeah, it would be nice to just kind of read read for ourselves, too. <laughs> we do have a book chosen for April 13th. The next book we will be reading is called Empire of Wild uh, by Sherry Dimeline. And uh, to give a little taste, it's going to be about the Rougarou, which is, uh, I guess you would call it the Pacific Northwest or uh, indigenous werewolf. I've heard the term Cajun werewolf thrown around for it, too, mm-hmm. in certain parts That's of the country. That's how I learned of it, too. So I am looking forward to reading this. I don't think... We haven't read a werewolf story, have we? No, I don't think we have. Have we? Like werewolf werewolf? I don't think so, no. We've had vampires. We have. not werewolves. (laughs) I I mean, Ruguru is basically a werewolf. It is basically, yeah. Basically a werewolf, yeah. We got some some folklore, some werewolf goodness, and some mystery. Yay. Ooh. From what I gather, it seems to be more on the thriller end of horror, but it does still say that it's a horror. But, I mean, I've been tricked before. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we like to mix it up here, so it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. If you like what you hear, check out our other podcasts on the Creative Horror Network at creativehorror.com. As Sade mentioned, we have our one podcast called uh, The Jameson Tapes, which I totally recommend as well as uh, our ever-popular Undercooked Analysis, so check those out. You can also check them out on our YouTube channel. Uh, just look up Creative Horror, and we'll be the first ones you'll see. Yeah, is there any other plugins? I think that's it for now. Yeah, I, I hate to say this, but, I mean, I was all down to, you know, keep things going, but I really got to get these videos back to the store, or I'm going to get cruel late. <laughs> I haven't even bothered to rewind Hey, 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 yet. David. What? Be kind. Rewind. Good evening, intrepid listeners. This is the Pasta Shade, the host of Midnight Marinera, and this podcast is part of CreativeHorror.com, a network of podcasts and creators working together to build a constructive community of horror fans. For more content like this, visit us at CreativeHorror.com. <laughs>